What's up, everybody? We are back today with another beautiful episode of the Fetch It Podcast. I think title should be Tiny Home Big Cash. What do you think, Yoni? Tiny Home Big Cash. Don't need to do arbitrage. <laughs> there is another way. Dude, he he hit me with some, and I, I like to pride myself on listening to a boatload of podcasts and I'm pretty much anything that I consume is real estate related. And he mentioned a couple different things today that I had never thought of that I think would be absolutely killer for the investing side of things. One of which, because everybody and their brother knows about mobile home park investing because of Brandon Turner. But Brandon Turner just invests in a mobile home park like any other Joe Schmo would. Buy the mobile home park, put mobile homes in there, make money off the lot rent, go forward. But something that he said some of his investors are doing, which you have to listen for all the details with it, but just a little teaser, is he'll find or people will find these small little mom and pop mobile home parks that are only, you know, 15 units or something like that, that nobody wants. Brandon Turner's not buying that. You can get it for pennies on the dollar or seller finance and throw some of these tiny homes out there and you are exponentially increasing your cash flow off of these things, which is just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you can have one of these mobile home or one of these tiny homes delivered to you in 90 days, ready to go, plug it in, you're, you're, you're making cash flow, it's insane. Think different, everybody, think different. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. This is a way to get into the equity game with uh, with less skin in the game. So highly recommend you listening, plus he's pretty dope. Yeah, he's a very cool guy, and he he kind of helps uh, helped us understand the possibility of like bridging together, having you know tiny home experiences, Airbnbs, and also you know most people are going to say I don't have the land to be able to put a tiny home on, and he teaches us how you don't need to own the land to be able to do this. So stick around till the end where he discusses that. It's a fantastic episode. Let's jump into it. Amazing. Hello, everybody. We are back today with another episode of the Fetch It podcast. We have a very special guest, Trey Winowitz. He is a tiny house aficionado. So anybody that's been interested in the tiny house movement or had questions about tiny houses, hopefully we can answer them today. So Trey, would you please introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and how you got started in this uh, tiny little world. Yeah, sure, Dave. Thanks, Yoni. Thanks, David. And uh, yeah, small world, but it is definitely a big movement. Um, you know, I've been doing rental properties, probably I'm 46 years old, been doing it since I was like 21 and from mostly long-term rentals. And up until about a year or so ago, uh, my wife and I just decided, you know, it was a lot of, you know, the long-term rental was just a little different and and tough and you're chasing people for a little bit of money. And we were like, Hey, you know, maybe we should just do, and we have three tiny houses on like two and a half acres of land. So we already kind of were in that market a little bit. And it's like, well, you know, we, we always like to stay in these when we go to Airbnb or something like that. It's like, we should just, we should just make them really nice, put some money into them and then put them on Airbnb. And man, it has been the best decision ever. And then, you know, financially speaking, it's very, very popular. Tiny homes are, are just go bananas on Airbnb, VRBO. And so uh, a little less than a year ago, um, I got connected with UBuild. And so UBuild's a national, uh, basically a broker. So we just kind of work with a number of uh, national home builders who specialize in tiny homes. So we got, I, I just kind of worked for them, worked my way up a little bit, do some sales management for them and ended up working. I work with a lot of folks that, you know, own land or are looking for land and like want to do little tiny home communities and developments. Because as we kind of talked about off air, you know, the, the cost, the housing crisis and the cost of homes you know, in all markets are just really ridiculous. I mean, you can have a dual family that makes decent income and it's just hard to find a house that they can afford in this market. So we've seen a really big jump, but that's kind of a, a long and short story of kind of how I get into, you know, selling tiny houses. 
So what, because uh, we were talking right before we got on here, my wife and I, we're going to be staying in Asheville next week and we're staying in a tiny home. What is it inside our brain? Like, what is it right? about the draw about tiny homes that draws people in and what makes people, um, other than people, um, you know, that are going on vacation like we are, what is the draw for a lot of people and the big pros versus, you know, I'm sure there's some cons of tiny houses versus traditional. Well, I mean, what I've seen just in my experience and then kind of comparing it, because when you have a few or you're trying to rent them and you're going around looking, I think Airbnb has kind of hit it on the head and not that other platforms haven't, but they've been around a little bit longer and they like have a whole section now on experiences, right? So they're wanting, people are looking for the experience and, and, you know, from, uh, you know, glamping people, you know, there's some in Asheville, there was some, a nice little tiny house that we stayed in over there one time that's kind of by the river. And then the guy that owned the tiny houses, like had this space that was like the campground space, like people were paying like 75 bucks a night to like pitch a tent literally right next to I mean, it's like, so it's the experience, I think. And, you know, there's just the uniqueness. A lot of times the the, the size of the tiny house, especially from an investor perspective, is not like the biggest draw as much as the experience. So you can go in and have a decent budget and get some nice tiny homes up. And most of the time people are going like for Asheville, we just talked to off air. You've got plenty of stuff to do. Like you're not going to sit in the tiny house and, and it needs to be big enough for you to like spend hours and hours. You're going to go home and crash there. Right. But you're there to experience the area. And so just having that, you know, the, people post about it, people, you know, do all kinds of stuff on social media. It's just a cool thing to be able to say, oh yeah, we're going to actually, and by the way, we stayed in this cool tiny house. Look at this. And so it's just, you know, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's a crazy movement. Absolutely. There is something definitely like aesthetic and brain, brain pleasing about it because it's something so far from the norm. You know, it's not a three, two craftsman that's 1500 square feet. It's like, Oh, how did they do? How do they, you know, fit this tiny bathroom inside here? And it's, it's just something that's interesting and new that's drawing a lot of people in. Very, very, very much so just unique. And like I said, it, you know, just having something that's a little bit different, you know, people are looking for a little bit of a different experience and it just goes along, you know, with anything from, you know, like, I mean, A-frames, tree houses, you look on Airbnb and if it's something, not that, not that normal short-term rentals aren't making money, people are, but, you know, in our society, in a capitalistic society, you can pay for the demand. And if you can create that demand with an experience you can justify it. I'm working with a couple of people over here that are that own like 12 or 12 or so acres and it's like a horse farm, right? So they have horses, they have stables, they're doing some tiny homes and they have like a barn dominium, right? But the whole thing is like those people are going to get a whole lot more a night, right? Because people are going to walk out their door and like they're they're like tending the horses. Like it's this whole experience of just being around a place that you normally weren't in and I think that's what really is the big draw now. Absolutely. So, so you build tinyhomes.com. That's just what my brain is thinking this, this entire time we're talking. So most of our listeners are people that are most of the time focused on buying a existing property with a DSCR loan, which is the type of loan that uh, Airbnb investors focus on, short-term rental investors focus on. This is an alternative because you'd be buying land or unless you own existing land and you could put a tiny home on it and get started much quicker. So this is very appealing to me. My question to you is only coming in my mind from what people would ask me is, what is, what are the cost comparisons? What are the ranges? Uh, how low can it go and how high can it go? Good question. Good question. And that that's a wide range. 
It depends on, uh, you know, obviously size and finishes, but, you know, one of the benefits of uh, the company that I work with is, you know, number one, you're going to get something that's delivered really quickly. So you get like a 90 day from the time that we say go and we have a contract and we figure out exactly what you need. It's 90 days to delivered. So if you look in the market right now, you know, there's a lot of tiny home builders, but the demand is so high that the lead times are huge. So you might have to put a deposit down, right? Uh, and we'll get to financing in a little bit, but you might have to put a deposit down and they can't start on your tiny home for nine months or 12 months. And then it takes six months to build. Right. And so, you know, being able to, to be a turnkey, you know, from an investor standpoint, a lot of investors are flocking to this model because they know opportunity costs. Right. If I've got land and I want to make money, you know, every month that this thing or every day in short term rentals that it's not up and running. Right. I'm losing money. So from a cost perspective, while some folks and we can talk about, you know, do it yourselfers and being, you know, do, building it yourself, you know, the, the, the real entrepreneurs look at it and go, hey, you know what? Could I do it myself? Maybe so. Or I could subcontract, subcontract it out and maybe get it for 60 or 70,000. But here I could pay 80 or 85,000. You know, and generally I would say for our investor models, you're anywhere in the 80s to, you know, no more than 125 because we're now we do a lot more than that for custom homes where people are going to build them and live in them permanently. Uh, but I would say in your investor range, you're probably in the, you know, from the low 80s to like 125. But that's delivered, done, all appliances, everything, you know, structural warranties, everything, right? And so we have the financing and everything to do that. But thinking about it from an investor, you know, if I had to do it all over again with my property, I have three and I've redone them and they're, you know, on uh, on little uh, slabs and uh, cinder blocks. Right. But man, this is the way to go. Like I, I could spend less buying one turnkey and they just deliver it and set it on my property and I, hug, I basically plug it in like an RV. Right. And so from the day it's delivered, Literally, if your utilities are ready, you plug it in and you could Airbnb it the next day. So I think that's a big key from, you know, from price range, but then turnkey and being able to get it done and get it delivered is a big thing in the market because investors know if you've got a note that you're paying on the land or you paid cash for the land, you got money tied up in that. It's like, dude, how quick can I like, would I rather maybe get it done? And I mean, we've all had something built, right? How many people have had a contractor say, hey, oh man, we could do that for you. No problem. It's going to take eight weeks and it's going to be, oh, I could do that for 50,000 bucks. Right. <laughs> right. And that eight weeks is what now it's six months and it's a hundred thousand bucks. Right. And then you're like, well, crap. Now, not only is it over budget, it's taking longer time and I, and I lose all this rent. So part of it is being able to have a deal that, you know, Hey, if I'm going to, I'm agreeing that it's going to be delivered on this date and it's being built and here's all the finishes that it's going to be done and it's going to be sitting there making money. So uh, you know, that's a long answer to a short question, but yeah, that's, that's incredible though. So you, so like me, like we, I I'm looking around for some, uh, land that, you know, already has a structure on it. That's kind of my, my criteria is that I want to have a structure on it. So I mean, septic's already done. There's already utilities, right. et cetera. And so if I was able to find a property that had, you know, all of that, and then I was able to tie in an existing or tie in to the existing septic tank, and then, you know, use the utilities, you're saying from the time that I would order from the time that it would be delivered to my place is somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 days. Correct. 
that is incredible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's a, an insane turnaround because, you know, we, we, uh, we're part of host camp, you know, that's how Yoni and I met. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are doing new developments because that's kind of the way that Rob got started. You know, he was building places and he was, you know, uh, and the amount of time, like you said, for us to build something, it takes an incredibly long time, 12 months, 18 months, no problem that you're just sitting there hemorrhaging cash and you're not getting anything in return. And so if you buy a property that, you know, I still want to build my, you know, five cat or five bedroom cabin on this huge mountain, but it's going to take two years to do. Why not, you know, have a little bit of extra cash on the side to be able to purchase one of these that you can at least be, you know, making, making your payments and making some side cash at the same time. That's incredible. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it, it, it's all opportunity costs, you know, it's like, okay, I have to figure in, you know, pe- people, I mean, price is one thing, right. But if price was all people bought on, we'd all drive a Hyundai, right. Nobody would ever buy Mercedes because, it's why would anybody, oh, it does the same thing. Well, yeah, but it's not the same thing. So, you know, it, it's from an investor standpoint, I think time, you know, people like to move fast. They like to make money and they like to make their investment back fast. And, you know, Airbnbs, platforms like that have have given people that ability, you know, to make that extra income and to make it quick and, and get it listed. So, yeah, I think I think speed is a key for sure. Absolutely. Um, so whenever you're like, uh, you're, you said you're kind of like your investor model, whenever you were talking about your tiny home. So, um, are most of these like one bed, one bath, two bed, one bath, uh, with a loft or what kind of sizes are you normally looking at? Good question. So, uh, basically we usually just try to stick, kind of try to just keep it simple because once again, yeah. for the square footage, you know, to keep your cost down as an investor, generally you'd do either a one bedroom or a one bedroom and a loft. Um, no more than two bedrooms, just simply because, I mean, think about it. Let's say me and my wife and you and your wife go to Asheville, right? Um, if it was a one night stay, there's a chance we might stay in the same tiny house, right? 300 square feet or less. But if it's going to be more than one night, like we're going to get two, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, we have one bedrooms here and we have a pullout couch. So most of our investors will do a one bedroom because you can get that done the cheapest, quick, done, and then get a pull-out couch so it can sleep up to four, right? But, and I mean, I can tell you with three units in the last 12 months, I can count on one hand the number of I've had more than four people. So it's just, you know, it's a market too. If you're an investor, I'd rather I'd rather have two units and then rent two for one night than have one that fits six people and they all pile in it, you know. Now we get, we get most of ours were in football season, right? So I'm in mm-hmm. Knoxville, Tennessee. So football season, you know, you get four or five people that do it, you know, because that's fine, but you're going to get more. It's still demand. You're getting more dollars a night during a a peak season like that too. But, you know, in general, I would say one to two bedroom max, uh, because anything bigger than that, like you're talking about in Yoni's, you know, area in Sevierville, Gatlinburg, they got those. I mean, you're talking about a million dollar cabin really that sleeps 10 bedrooms. I mean, those things are fantastic. But it's a, it's a different market there for for the little tiny homes. You know, people people like them, and you don't have to sleep more than you know two people max. Sometimes four. So okay, so oh, go ahead, Yoni. Yeah. So um, I have a two parter coming your way, um, which both connect. So as Airbnb investors, which our listeners are, they're thinking. Of, I know what they're already thinking. They're thinking what what can what's the highest amount they can charge? Like what's that? What's the the highest? ADR, the highest average daily rate possible on these in a good right. market, right? Obviously, each market is is different. Um, that's part one. And part two, are people using debt to buy these for cash? Most often, people are using debt to buy them. 
uh, just simply because, you know, all of ours can be financed, even if you're, you know, by individuals, if they're going to live there or investors, uh, we've got all of our builders have financing, all the home, homes come certified. So you're talking about, you know, 20, let's just use a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say yours costs a hundred grand. You're talking $20,000 down. So if you had a hundred thousand, I mean, what, what investor or entrepreneur would use a whole hundred thousand and pay cash for the house to get it up and going? No, I, I'd take 40,000, right? And I'd put two of them on the same property. And now I'm written two because financing them out over 25 years, I mean, your payment's like 600 bucks. You know, I mean, 600 bucks. If you're doing Airbnb, if you if your numbers don't cash flow within a week, then you're either paying too much for it or you're not charging enough or it's not in a good area. Because generally all of our investors, when you do the math, and you back into what the Airbnb is going to charge. And you can use, you know, sites like yours. And there's plenty of, you know, uh, ways to look up what a common Airbnb price would be for the area. But then once again, you can look at, okay, if I'm doing, if I'm giving an experience on top of that, right, then staying in my tiny house in Knoxville for 130 a night, which is what ours average, you know, there's some that are, you know, individual homes and, you know, basement rooms or whatever for like 60 bucks, 75 bucks a night. But that's not the same thing. I got a fenced in yard. You can bring your dog. We're pet friendly. You know, you can sit out. We got fire pits outside of ours. So if you can create an environment for people to have an experience, you know, the, you know, a little bit down in finance, I think is what most of the investors are doing and the interest rates aren't scaring anybody. Yeah. Dude. And so I, I just grabbed my phone and I did a, just some quick math. So even at like a 60% occupancy rate at a 130, which 60% is, you know, getting pretty low right. for what, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. That's still like $2,300 a month. So you are well right. exceeding whatever your financeable amount is going to be for this place. Correct. And so then uh, what's, what's a normal uh, a down payment on these and what's a normal uh, loan length of time? So they go anywhere just normal up to 25 years. Right. Okay. And so it, there's different financing channels. And that's kind of a different conversation. But if, if it's anything below 400 square feet, then they go up to 25 years. Owner occupied, it's typically 10% down. And non-owner occupied, very similar to a normal mortgage is up to 25 years, 20% down. So, you know, once again, just as a ballpark, if you're spending a hundred grand on a house, $20,000 down, financed over 20 years, throw it in a financial calculator, you're looking at five something to $600 a month. Uh, at a, even at a hundred dollars a night, once again, after a week, if you're not cash flowing in a week, something's wrong. You know, you're not charging the right amount or you're spending too much on the house. Absolutely. And then if you're, I mean, and then you should be well hitting, you know, a thousand dollars a month in cash flow. And if you're hitting that, then you're, yeah. you're past the 50% cash on cash return, which is knocking it out of the park. Exactly. Exactly. And the truth is I just got off a call today with a fetched customer who was asking me, oh, it'll take me too long to, to, to buy a property. I'm, I'm just going to do arbitrage. And I'm not, I'm not discriminating against arbitrage, but I actually told him, I said, you should look into tiny homes because it could be a tweener of uh, a mm-hmm. way to get into the equity game. And so maybe we can speak a little bit about that, that like the fact that, that you are providing an alternative for this mass part of the market where people like they can't, they can't get into the million dollar cabin. It just ain't happening for a right. long time. And then maybe they won't raise money either, but maybe they're not in a position to do that yet. So maybe speak a little bit about that to those kind of people listening. They're like, oh, hey, like I wanted to do arbitrage, but now after listening to Trey, maybe I'll be doing some tiny homes. Yeah. And I mean, you got you make a good point. And I, I know your listeners are here kind of looking for ideas and people always looking for the next best thing. But, you know, 
with, with real estate investing or starting a business or entrepreneurial stuff. I mean, we've always been, I've always been a fan of, you know, taking messy action. Like most everybody, you know, if they're going to think, you know, you can, you can think yourself out of so many good decisions, right? So from a, from an investment perspective, if somebody really is wanting to get into real estate investing, that's great. What they want to start doing is building cash flow, right? If they can build cash flow, that's going to give you the ability to borrow more or leverage if you need to, but it's also going to give you breathing room to where if you, it, it, let's say in your example, my goal is to get a nice $750,000 cabin that's going to go on a rental program that I don't have to worry about a whole lot, but I'm going to have to come up with $120,000, $150,000 down. Well, you know, how long is it going to take me to get $150,000 based on working my full-time job right now? Or what if I go out and find a couple of smaller deals with tiny houses or A-frames or, you know, other things, arbitrage, you know, whatever it may be to build it up to say, oh, okay, well then there, there's a different method because a lot of times people just give up uh, before they, you know, as they're getting close to it. But if we can, you know, allow them to make some smaller steps and have some successes, you know, having a tiny house, finding a place to do, you know, you can put them in a lot of RV parks and campgrounds will take them. So, you know, you don't necessarily even have to own land, right? So you could go into an RV park. Mm. Let's say, let's say I got a $600 payment, right? My $600 finance payment. I might have to pay the, the campground owner five or 600 bucks, but that covers all my utilities, all of everything. And I can park it there because it's in a nice area like yours in Sevierville, close to Dollywood, Gatlinburg, wherever you are, Asheville, right? Now it's just a little bit from a business perspective, that's a little bit more overhead, right? But I got to pay utilities anyway. So now I don't have to own the land. So now I'm really only getting in. I don't have to own the land. I'm in for 20 grand and now I'm cash flowing, you know, a few hundred dollars less than I would be if I owned the land, but I don't have to go find the land, make sure it's zoned, zoned the right way. You know, so, you know, entrepreneurs are problem solvers. You know, the, the bigger problems we solve, the more money they pay us, right? Dude, I, I, that never even occurred to me. And I love that idea because it's, it's almost like you're, you're melding together the two. You've got, you know, this really cool tiny home and you find a campground where you're able to park this really cool tiny home out there. And yeah, you, it's, it's essentially like you're arbitraging then the land because you've got that's somebody exactly that's right. allowing you to be out there. You can arbitrage the land that you don't have to go out and find. You don't have to put 50% down on raw land figure out the utilities, take all that time. Cause that's going to be people's biggest excuses. I don't have the money to deal with all that with permitting and the time, blah, blah, blah. But if you can find somebody that allows you to put the tiny house out there, then you're going to be yeah running from the get go because they've got everything in place for you. And if you're paying $300 a month, you know, $400 a month for all of your utilities that, but think about how much headache that's saving you. That's a no brainer. That's fantastic. I love that. Well, idea. And a lot of, and a lot of people we're talking to a lot of investors too, that are actually targeting, you know, old trailer parks, old campgrounds, because these, I mean, these for years, right? People have made fun of them, but people in real estate know, man, they've, there's people that have been made killings with trailer parks, right? Because yeah. it's cash flow. And so just getting in, you know, and the difference between a tiny home that's built like a home, right? And, and a trailer, it's, it's not even close. So a lot of these guys are going in and these investors are going in and they're redoing these RV parks and campgrounds and trailer parks and starting to bring in some of the tiny homes and then renting them out short-term, long-term themselves. And especially if they're in an area, um, like I got a guy that's outside of Branson, that's doing the same thing, Branson, Missouri, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff people are going there for, but you get a couple of tiny houses in there in with his current inventory. And now you got an attraction, right? And then people come in and it's like, oh, well, 
that's not a bad idea. And, you know, we've set some of these folks up as like a wholesaler, you know, just give them a wholesale contract. And like, once they have a couple of people there, they're renting them out and people are like, Hey, these are really cool. And it's like, Oh, okay, well I can sell you one. Do you want to buy one? You know, and people buy them and we'll deliver them to their house. Oh man, that, that idea is brilliant as well, because yeah, you find a place like, okay, let's say that there's a little mom and pop 20 unit mobile home park. That's 20 go. minutes outside of Nashville or Asheville, Nashville, whatever. doesn't well, matter. Yeah, Any cool one. city. And so then it's already properly zoned because that's one of the biggest problems whenever it comes to like mobile home parks or campgrounds or anything like that, trying to get the zoning, trying to get the um, the septic system put in or get it on to, um, yeah, all of that stuff. So then if you find a place that's already in place, it's already zoned appropriately, you can yank out all those old crap uh, mobile home parks throw three or four of the, you know, tiny homes to from the get go, which right. obviously be a little bit, you know, upfront cost, but you're probably making just as much off of those four tiny homes. You would be 20 mobile home parks with much less of the headache because you're not, you're not dealing with the tenants. That's, that, right. that's brilliant. And, and once again, that, you know, your cost per night, you know, on the short-term rentals, you're going to get people, you know, as opposed to a long-term rental in a trailer park. And I mean, I don't have a whole lot of numbers on the top of my head for a trailer park rental, but, you know, they're making as much on the lot rent. So the idea is for these landowners that, that go in and buy these parks, you know, that's the best place to be in, right? So if you work with a company like us, and we're not the only game in town, I mean, there's other people that do the same thing, but, you know, that to be said, if they're, renting out, you know, the, the landowners can own some of this, these tiny homes and rent them out. But, but the, the biggest play is, man, if they've got that 20 units, right. Or 20 pads, right. They're providing the utilities. If somebody doesn't pay the, and, and then we provide the tiny homes, but that person's financing the tiny home through the bank, right. Through somebody yeah. else. So if they, it's not on them, if they don't pay their tiny home mortgage, that's all right. They're just worried about paying the electricity bill. You don't turn, you don't pay the electricity bill. They turn the electricity off. Right. So oh, the, the risk from an investor perspective in the mobile home park community with some tiny homes or some other structures, you know, RVs, what I mean, people rent Airbnb, you look on Airbnb, you can rent an RV, people rent RVs, oh, yeah. you know, so yep. people rent tents. So the demand is there. And I think depending on the location, obviously that matters in real estate, but from a land investment perspective, there's a lot lower risk in setting it up kind of like an RV park, Right. Because and and then just selling the units, you know, maybe keeping a few. But if you have a ton of pads, maybe you sell some of them while there, and you've got a you basically have a, a showroom. Yeah, right. You yeah, got people you... can come and stay, and it's like, oh, you might want to buy these. Yeah, just come stay. You know, come stay for a night. We'll give you a free night. Check it out. You know, whatever. And then you can see we got a couple of models. And then yeah, if you don't like it, then we'll just custom build you one, and we'll design one. You know. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I, I, I pretty much only consume real estate uh, content and I don't think I've ever heard of somebody using that kind of a strategy, find a small old rundown mom and pop mobile home park and turn it into a little tiny house village because everything's there and ready. That is brilliant, man. Love that. Um, so my question then, a lot of people, whenever they would be looking into tiny homes, um, their biggest gripe with them typically is you're usually not building equity if they are a movable structure. Is that correct? Uh, that may be true. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's enough uh, data to really support that. One of our founders has been in a tiny home for a long time. And, you know, based on the places that he's lived, he believes that it's gone up in value. But the other thing is to think about the the quality of construction, too, because, I mean, you're talking about, you know, uh, the quality of construction of like a residential home. So basically, they're built on a trailer platform, right, with axles so they can be moved. 
But, you know, typically you're, you're comparing, you know, apples and oranges with trailers and, you know, RVs and, and, and a tiny home. Um, but to your question, it's like, you know, my, my thought is just from a, from a sheerly investment and cash flow perspective, is there a chance? Let, let's, let's go with the fact that we're assuming that it's going to be a depreciating asset, right? Let's just go flip it around. So now I've got a depreciating asset of a tiny home, possibly, right? Because there's not enough data to prove that it's going to go up in value like a house because it's not permanent. Or um, I could be renting a trailer or an RV, right? So if all of these are going to, because they're on wheels or because they're not permanent or whatever, they're going to be more depreciating because of, you know, the market, it's got to depreciate a whole lot less, you know, as far as that goes. And once again, looking at it from a cash flow, if I can get it up, I can charge more because it's an experience. I can get it up and running quicker. So I have a less opportunity cost that I lose. And then, yeah, at the end of the day, if the actual tiny home structure isn't worth a hundred thousand that I bought it at. It's worth, you know, somebody values as, Hey, it's only worth 85,000. At the end of the day, if I have that on land that I'm selling, what else am I selling with that? I'm selling the cash flow, right? Yeah. So I'm worried as much about the cash flow because I'm going to get a multiple of that when I sell the mobile home park, right? I'm selling the multiple of the land. So what, what are those trailers worth that they sell the mobile home for millions, right? They're not going, uh, the, the trailer parks have almost no value in the whole deal anyway, right? Well, my, my view is these are at least going to have more value than the trailer part, right? So I'm going to get the same, if not more cash flow. And yeah, if it's worth, you know, if it depreciates, it's going to depreciate at a slower value, but that's not the value. I think is the speed to get it up, the uniqueness and the premium price that you can charge because of the experience. I love, okay. love, love that answer because I, 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 there's a lot of people that would, that would be their initial knee jerk reaction. You know, like everybody says, sure, cash flow, but no, you need to have equity. But if you are building a, a business, you know, if you have a business to where you've got five of these out on a, you know, 10 acre property and this pr- business is producing, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a, a year in cash flow right. or something that's along those lines. That's what's, that's what's appealing. Right. Exactly. Because then now you can take this to any sort of savvy investor that understands cap rates, bring it to them and say, hey, I've got this nice little bundled up business. I've already got an operator in place. We put it over a 10 cap and now it's worth, you know, two million dollars. No one cares that it's depreciating. They want that cash flow. That's exactly. That's fantastic. Love, love that answer. What was that, Yoni? Sorry. No, no, no. I I was just going to say, I think in bullet points and like hooks, Mm-hmm. For people that like arbitrage and people that like trailer parks, like this is your alternative right here. This is a better modern alternative. Um, so I just want to, I want to say that a million times over my, my biggest question I have is I'm trying to think from the consumer perspective, where can you not help people? Where can you help people? Like what are there parts of the United States of America that you can't? I, I'm sure there are. And, and most of it really, you know, is a zoning thing. So most of it just depends like a lot of the, you, and I think over the next five years, we'll probably see some changes just because of the housing crisis. I mean, the, the, because everything is so inflated. But I mean, generally speaking, like I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So in Knoxville proper and like some of the more urban areas, the counties, right? It's more the county zoning than it is like the city, right? So I, I think really, you know, what we typically do is just get some basic information from people and say, hey, let me get your zip code your county that you're in. And it's really usually not that hard to figure out what's allowed, right? So some of our builders, 
you know, only do tiny homes, they can be titled as like a park model RV. So any place that would allow you to have an RV would work. And then some of our builders also have like a modular uh, certification. So in and around here in Tennessee, for example, there's a lot of places that if you didn't have a modular home stamp as a builder, right, you can't get approved. They just won't, they don't want to prove it because of, you know, it's a long story, but because of what's been going on here in this area before and all these other companies that are kind of like the monopoly over here. So, you know, working with a builder that, that understands that and has been in that field that can work with your city. And we've, you know, I've got contacts and our builders are like, Hey, that's okay. Let's jump on the phone with the client and we'll call the city planning commission. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll call the zoning. Like most of the time, these people are very, very willing to help you understand what these rules are, right? Because you're the one that's calling. Most of the time, people just try to go build crap and they're like, Hey, I hope nobody, <laughs> I hope nobody comes out and asks me. Right. And, and, and they're, they're, they're usually very, very easy to talk to. And once a good builder who's experienced with tiny homes and development and construction understands what the rules are, then we can see, Hey, if there's a way around you know, the rules to make sure that the tiny home can work. And, you know, in some cases it won't, but I would say you're probably a, you know, 60 or 70% of the time, you know, you can make it work based on the area, but then obviously some areas are just, you know, a little bit too urban. The price of real estate's too high. They're just trying to keep anything. But a lot of times if like Nashville, you mentioned, or Asheville, if you just go out, you know, 15, 20 minutes from those areas, a lot of times the zoning really loosens up and, and you can, you can find some really nice land and do some really cool things. Very nice. So that, that kind of leads me into my, my next question I was wanting to ask. So like for the common consumer, like somebody like me that was going to want to go out and like find a tiny home, because this sounds really good. What are some common pitfalls that a guy like me should uh, look for and try to avoid whenever I'm getting, starting to look into the tiny home world? Yeah. You know, Yoni and I talked, we had, we have kind of a free ebook. So I don't know if you guys are going to link to it or we'll, you know, just sure. be happy to email them about it. But, you know, I think having, you know, people who are experienced in the space, like a lot of times people try to do it themselves or they feel like they want to find someone that they're going to, going back to the example of the entrepreneur, it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, it's going to take me a year, but I'm going to save $20,000 and buy, build this house for 80 instead of a hundred. And it's like, did you really, did you really save 20 grand? You know, cause I could have had it up and running in three months and, and making money. But I think, you know, trying to overthink it and say, and pinch pennies, right? Looking at the, at the, at the macro picture, right? How quick can I get it up? You, you obviously you want, you don't want to overpay for something, but you want to get a good quality product. I think having someone who's experienced in delivery and transportation is a big deal. I've heard a lot of horror stories, you know, just because there's, you know, Johnny that has a F-250 pickup and says, <laughs> oh, I can move your tiny home, right? That's That could be a, a complete disaster. We've got some horror stories. So working with people that are experienced in actually the industry of moving them, transporting them, you know, putting them up, and then the manufacturers that you're working with, making sure things are certified. You know, there's a bunch of different levels of certification that you can do, ANSI, RVAI, NOAA, you know, we can get into that on a different time too, but, you know, it needs to be, you know, inspected along the way. It needs to be done once a lot of times that these are built in people's backyards, they're selling them for 50, 75,000. You don't know what's behind the walls, right? You don't know what that electric, you turn electric on, you leave your fan on the whole thing catches on fire and you're done. Right. So having a warranty, I would say, you know, making sure your builder's been doing it for a while, having a warranty, 
you know, transportation costs. And then, you know, financing is always a thing. You know, a lot of times you're going to, if you're doing somebody with someone that doesn't do it on a volume level, uh, they're typically not going to have accessible to financing, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's going to be owner financing. And then it's like, well, you're getting into the owner financing. You know, this guy builds one or two of these a year, you know, it's just a lot of things that investors, you know, just want to ask some questions. I, I, I think those are, those are some of the top. I wrote a couple of notes. So I'll look down at some of these real quick, but transportation, you know, I think what, what we had put warranty transportation, um, not having a definite timeline, you know, we mm -hmm. talked about that. We kind of covered that with a lot of our, you know, no offense. I have a whole bunch of great friends that are contractors too, but they would tell you the same thing because if it's not them, <laughs> it's the supplier, right? The supply chain now. So it's sure. like, hey, trying to make sure that you have someone that has access to the supply chain to where if they say, hey, we're going to have this delivered on this date, they know based on what's in it that they can get access to all the supplies and the materials that go into the home, right? And so everything, most everything that we do with our, even down to the custom tiny homes, they can all buy for, unless it's something exotic that the customer wants, it can all be bought from Lowe's or Home Depot. So it's not going to be a supply chain issue where if we say, hey, we're going to be able to deliver it in 90 days, it's going to be like, oh, crap, we couldn't get the flooring in. So we're waiting on the flooring. Right. So I yeah. think I think just the experience level, the warranties, the shipping, you know, financing, those are some things that, you know, that those consumers, if you're considering this, you want to kind of ask about and dig around a little bit just so that you're not, you know, caught off guard by anything. For sure. For sure. I, I think that this is one of the most interesting episodes because I'm very sensitive to the zero to one folks. And I want to, the, the purpose of fetch it largely is to speed that process up. This is another thing I think that, that, um, that, that allows people to get into the game quicker. I do have a question here written that I'm curious about. Say somebody decides to get in the tiny home game. How long should he expect conservatively that the home will hold up? Because we talked about trailer parks and we talked about that. I think people are familiar with the life expectancy of those types of units. So maybe talk a little bit about life expectancy and how maybe it compares to trailer parks. I think that could be a really cool segment. Sure. Yeah. I've had, I've had a little bit of experience. Some of the folks that uh, are on my team's tiny home sales team, uh, have a lot of experience and sold uh, RVs and uh, not mobile homes, but RVs. So, you know, but kind of the same, same question, you know, the, the quality of materials you're talking about here is, you know, steel framing, you know, if you're using two by fours, you know, it's two by sixes, the insulation values in the walls. We have some units. I have one that we just sold the other day. That's going to go up to uh, Minneapolis, right. Uh, to St. Paul, that's Minnesota. It's, up there, you know, by the Great Lakes, going to be really cold, right? Dang so, cold, yeah, I mean, yeah, really cold. <laughs> so it's like you know, spray foam insulation, you know, uh, standing seam seal roofs, right? Mm -hmm. So all of the materials that you would normally find in a subdivision house that you go into, it's simply built on a trailer frame, right? And so what people don't understand is the longevity of them. It, it's going to also go with the, the warranties. You know, generally the builder is going to give a, you know, structural warranty on the whole thing is going to be a 10 year structural warranty. You know, you've got cosmetic for a year, you've got maintenance for two, and then all your appliances and everything are usually stainless steel appliances. They're going to be five year warranties. So most everything that you would normally find in as far as materials, building codes, everything like that, 
it's going to be like that. It just happens to be built on a trailer on a small platform that can be moved. That's fantastic. So I, I didn't realize how extensive. I mean, that's that's a better warranty than I got on my brand new townhome that I bought. So I mean, that's yeah. that's fantastic. Um, because yeah, you're building with essentially all of the same things that you would normally build a house with. It's Granite just the fact that it's solid wood, solid wood hard cabinets, wood flooring, you know, delta faucets, tile backsplashes, tile, you know, uh, showers. You know, I mean, the rain shower. I mean, it's all the same stuff. So it's. You know, when you think about, I, I mean, I, I've been in a few RVs that are like that, but really in order to get in that kind of a echelon of an RV, you're talking about like a motor coach, right? You're not yeah. talking about an RV that people, you're talking about something that one of the Nashville stars takes on the road, right? Those things are a half a million bucks, right? But those depreciate too, right? Yeah. So people are still buying those. And I guarantee you, if they weren't on tour and some of those Nashville guys put those things out on Airbnb, they could get five, 600 bucks a night for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, delivery of these products within 30 days, where is your like uh, entire area that you guys serve and kind of like, where's your typical customer? What's kind of like your bread and butter person that's coming to you guys? You know, and, and, you know, within 90 days from the time that we say go, we can have one either, you know, and sometimes depending on what they're looking for, some of our builders have things that are in stock, you know, or things that deals were going and then for some whatever reason, the, the financing fell through. So typically, though, because of what we're just talking about with material costs and the types of materials, this is not a business that someone would do like a car lot or an RV lot, right? Those RVs, those dealers are buying those things for you know, 25 to 35,000 and selling them for a hundred, right? Mm -hmm. These are, they, they, the builders can't afford to have 10 in inventory, right? Sitting on waiting to sell them. So, you know, as far as that goes, the, the timeline uh, is usually about 90 days and really just the 48 states, you know, I mean, we, okay. we can ship it to Hawaii, but typically you got to make sure that it is, you know, less than 12 feet wide so that it can go in a shipping container, and, you know, we really haven't done any business, you know, outside of the 48 states. But um, generally speaking, you know, we do a lot of business in Texas. And, and really, I think it's where some of these people, the pioneers that we we're talking about before that want to buy land and build a community. Right. So the more the more communities that I see in those states, that's where the tiny homes flock. And then it just kind of builds. Right. South Carolina, Pennsylvania. Um, Arizona is a very tiny, friendly state. T Texas is very tiny home friendly. But then you have like Tennessee, I wouldn't say is hugely tiny home friendly, but you got a lot of cities in Tennessee that are now starting to pop up with a lot of little tiny home communities. And really all it takes, like you said, is somebody that sticks their neck out and goes, hey, there's a huge demand for this. Why couldn't we put one here in Kentucky? You can. And you find your land and you know you look at it and you market it as, hey, look at all the stuff there is here to do around where we are. And it could be five, it could be 15 of them. And, you know, it, you know, these can be delivered. So it's really just depending upon, um, you know, where the customer is located and where the land is located. And, you know, transportation cost is usually financeable. Uh, so, you know, if I've got to, if I'm building one here in Tennessee and shipping it to, you know, Jersey or, or whatever, it, it really, at the end of the day, if they're financing, even an investor over a 25 year amortization, I mean, you're talking about you know, a couple bucks a month. It's not, it's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. 
that's fantastic. I love that. Love that. All right. That, uh, I mean, we burned through like 40 minutes in no time. That was fantastic, man. So, um, I think we are going to kind of move into our closing questions here. So we have a a list of questions that we'd like to try and ask people just to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, so one of the first questions that I like to ask people is, uh, what's one of the biggest challenges that you have in your business right now and how could the listeners help you guys out? Oh, great question. Uh, so I would say in the tiny home world for individuals, uh, it's not as much of a challenge or hasn't been for me for investors. Typically the investors have, you know, a mindset, an entrepreneurial mindset of trying to figure out a way to get it done as opposed to selling, you know, to individuals, you know, it's been more difficult trying to make sure that the process of getting the individuals qualified, you know, the the main questions from an individual standpoint, you know, do they have a job, you know, because they're going to have to get a mortgage, right? Do they have mm-hmm. a job? Um, you know, do they have a relatively low DTI? Um, you know, do they have land to put this on or are they willing to go in a community, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, other than that, you know, I mean, that's basically what we need. And then we try to get an idea of what, you know, their their budget is, what's reasonable, and then get them over to finance, kind of like a real estate agent would, and just try to get them pre-qualified. But I think the main thing, I think as a challenge for me, for individual buyers, not as much in the in the investor world, is really just trying to uh, quickly identify, connect with the leads and get them pre-qualified, you know, in a relatively short period of time. So to know that, hey, you know, David, hey, you know, right now we definitely can help you, but right now is not exactly the best time. So, you know, once we get to X, Y, Z and the down payment is the other thing, like for an individual, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a hundred grand, we're going to need probably 10, 10 grand, you know, right. 10%. So 10 to 15,000, you know, a lot of times the individuals that we're working with, it's like, okay, well, we need to just try to figure out what a path would be. You know, what would it look like for you to get to the 10,000, $15,000 mark? Can we borrow that mm-hmm. from the family member? Do we have some stuff sitting in the garage that we need to sell, right? Can we take a loan, you know, from a 401k, you know, what, what makes the most financial sense too? Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, you know, probably qualifying the individual buyers has probably been a, a little bit of a challenge. And so you, you know that you mentioned that you guys are almost kind of like brokers. So you guys are like in-house, you know, holding cash and basically, you know, being the bank. So you guys have banks that your uh, credit unions, whatever that you have worked with in the past that will finance these types of things. Am I reading you correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. We don't do, we don't have anything to do with the financing. We don't make any money on financing. We don't make any money on shipping. I mean, all we're doing is, is helping people find the home and, and trying to make the deal work. So yeah, sure. there's a number of, a number of different lenders and banks that will lend on these structures. And so we just, we just turn them over to them and try to just help facilitate the process. That's awesome. So, um, something I'm thinking of as we get into the personal questions is getting into your mind. I know you're, I, I know this is the first time we're going to have you on. We're going to have you on other times as well, Trey. But is there a book that you felt that you either read recently or maybe not recently that formed who you are, that got you into this sort of like very entrepreneurial space? You know, I I think book wise, but I'm a I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. I mean, mm-hmm. for years and years, I mean, I can I can think back like when I was growing up in high school playing sports and played sports in college and you know, my dad was a big Tony Robbins fan, and I can remember the cassette tape 
book, all right, the cassette tape stuff for Tony Robbins. Nice. And all all back then, I, I got into a lot of, you know, John Maxwell was a really good mentor. He has a lot of really good personal development and growth books. But then from a real estate perspective, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki was a was a fantastic. I mean, it's a it's an evergreen. I mean, it's simple real estate business strategies, you know, and it's, I mean, people, and, and believe it or not, you know, people are now still rereading it and reading it for the first time and discovering new things. And, you know, he's still got a, a thriving career and a thriving business teaching people how to do new and innovative things in real estate. So, um, you know, that's, those are some of the the key things. I mean, we've all got to stay obviously developing ourselves personally, developing our minds. So, you know, there's tons of really nice, uh, gurus out there that have some, you know, some good tape series or podcasts, right? And and really, it's just about I think connecting like we've done today and and finding people that are kind of in that like mindset, right? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be Tony Robbins. We can sit around here. I, when we get finished done with this, I'm I'm like energized. I need to go call some people, right? <laughs> so it's like oh, and and we'll think and it'd be like oh, you know, because of that, and your mind starts working. But that's what we all need to be able to succeed. Agreed. That was that was what uh what you know Yoni and I we we met through Host Camp, which is Rob Abasolo's uh, mastermind group, and we've talked about it a million times, and that's what we're kind of trying to cultivate here with Fetch It as well is trying to just get a a group of like minded people together because yeah. Uh, my wife always laughs whenever I get done with one of these podcasts. I'm just like jazzed up, and you know, I go ideas hit, and, yeah, yeah, exactly, hit Zillow, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we could do this, this, and this, make this kind of cash flow. So yeah, it's it's a huge thing finding people that are in a a, a, a similar mindset with you because then uh, it helps confirm that one, you're not crazy, or there's just enough crazy people out there like you. Right. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Um, so do you have a, a favorite deal that you have done in the past? Uh, one of the tiny homes that you've done or anything like that. It can either be most profitable or it can be the worst one and it's funny, or it can be whatever your, uh, whatever your favorite deal that you've done in the past. Oh, favorite deal. Um, man, I think some of the ones, I don't think they're done yet, but some of the ones that we're doing right now, you know, we're in, we're in East Tennessee. So, uh, we've got a nice project in Morristown, Tennessee on the lake. Uh, gentleman's got just a beautiful piece of property. He's got like 20 pads and, you know, they, they're like ready to go. So, um, you know, he had, there's a long story behind it, but they couldn't, couldn't finish getting them all done. And so, you know, once again, this is a person who has experience building, right? and is a builder. So it's not that he couldn't do it himself, but kind of what we we're talking about at the beginning of the cast is he looks at it and goes, look, I, I'm like, you know, so tell me, you know, why would you not just, I mean, in the interview initially, it's like, well, why wouldn't you just build them yourself? And he's like, well, I would, but it would take me four years. He's like, we're so busy on everything else. I don't have enough crews. And I'm finally to the point where I know that if I actually want to make this land, make money and monetize it, it's worth having somebody else do it to be able to get it done and make money. Otherwise he's like, I would have to shut down and I'd lose money over here doing this to go do this. So it's all a, you know, I, I think that's going to be a great project and, you know, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated and send you pictures, but, you know, working with people, I think in the building and construction industry, and then that's the industry that we're in. It just proves that entrepreneur entrepreneurs can, can realize the value you know what I mean? So it doesn't necessarily mean that they, I mean, most people would look at what he does and go, man, that's a conflict of interest. Well, he does the same thing. Here. Why, why would anybody ever call on him to do anything? And it's like, well, you know, you get to talking to people and it's like, Hey, well, 
how come you haven't got it already done? How long has the land been sitting here? You know, I mean, just your same questions you would ask in a real estate negotiation. And it's like, well, why would you? I mean, it sounds dumb, right? But this is my, this is how dumb I am at sales. It's like, <laughs> man, it sounds like he, you got everything going pretty good here. Like, why would you buy these for me? Why wouldn't you just buy them yourself, do them yourself? And then, and then guess what? They'll tell you, they'll tell you exactly why. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's going to be a good one. It's going to be a, a 18 acre development, 25 units, uh, a restaurant. It's got a marina oh with boat slips just overlooking the the lake. I mean, it's just a, it's a gorgeous piece of property in Morristown, Tennessee. If, yeah. If you start uh, snapping a few pictures of that tag, fetch it and we'll, we'll reshare it on our oh, yeah, Instagram. Sure. We'd, we'd love to see it, man. I bet that's beautiful. But yeah, that's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, somebody that's uh, let's just say a real estate agent or something, and they are seeing a whole bunch of people coming through or so, you know, they're, they're going to go do open houses uh, instead of them changing the oil in their own car. They go through Jiffy Lube, takes them 15 minutes and then they go sell a house instead of taking right. two hours to change your oil at home. It just makes sense. You know, it's just the, right. whatever you value it's your time, time and your money. expertise. Yeah. Time value of money for sure exactly right totally totally um david you want to hit him with one more yeah uh i think uh one of the last ones we got is uh so a lot of our people you know we, we like to try and get people on here that are performing at a high level and a lot of people they seem to have things that you know they kind of do on a daily basis or things that that you know just kind of like mindset things so do you have any sort of daily habits or um you know tricks or tips or whatever that you do to get yourself you know in the mindset or uh uh what you've done to get you to this high level Oh man. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I tried to just continue to consume, um, you know, just positive information from, you know, like your Tony Robbins or your podcasts. Uh, but generally speaking, I try to wake up in the morning. Uh, I mean, we, we, we try to just take care of ourselves. I mean, you know, a little bit of exercise, try to, I mean, I, I buy, by by far, I'm not in great shape. I would say everybody's aspiring to be in better shape in my experience, but, you know, trying to do exercise a couple times a week to just, reduce some of the stress that we have in life. But, you know, I kind of a spiritual person. I try to get up in the morning, have coffee before the kids get up, read my Bible a little bit, maybe journal. I think journaling for me too, along with reading has been, you know, it's kind of freeing. It kind of gets you, you know, out of the, you know, uh, anxiety or whatever, all the things that I feel in my mind, you know, and just trying same. to write things out. And then before you know, then your then your mind kind of clears up, or my mind does. And so journaling and reading, you know, I think is really good. And then really just, you know, trying to surround yourself with people that, uh, you know, think the same way from different Facebook groups. I mean, there's, you know, you guys are talking about mastermind groups, same thing like that. I think if you're not doing that, you're probably missing out. And, you know, I mean, life is short, but it's also hard, right? So. It's, it's tough to do this alone. So really having a handful of people or being able to find a podcast like this for people to listen to that just at least just kind of motivates them a little bit and gets them out of their own crap. Because that's, I mean, you know, it's easy, you know, the sun doesn't come up. It's not pretty like this today. And we get, it's like, man, you know, I don't feel like doing anything today, you know? So just having those little things in the routine, I think can help, you know, kind of turn people's day around. Love That's that. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think the, the journaling is a huge thing because it takes whatever is worrying around in your mind and it's things like, Oh, I should remember that. Uh, I, I, I remember thinking about that, whatever, just get it on paper. And once it's on paper, it's like, it's just out then it's right, out of your before mind. You don't know think it, about right? it if, you, if you don't, I'm just speak for me. Like if I don't do that and, and not to say, I mean, I I'm, I'm the king of to-do lists, right? I'm the, I'm the king of sticky notes that that I just moved to another sticky note. Right. But <laughs> I think at least getting it out, right. 
getting it out and getting it on there, it, it, then I'm not, I have, I'm less likely to have anxiety and get overwhelmed with all the crap I think I have to do. Because, you know, obviously I think what, what that helps me with is I end up being able to prioritize the handful of things, right. That I need to get done today. And then everything else, once I have those priorities, then it's like, oh, well, I do have all this other crap I need to do, but eh, it's not as big of a deal as this. So if I get those done, I'm at least like, yes. All right. I got, yeah. a, I got a couple of things done today. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, so Trey, this was awesome. Um, so well, thank you guys we, for having me on for sure. Yeah, yeah. This was like easy, very easy episode for us to shoot. Um, one thing I'm wondering about is website. So Instagram, YouTube, anything, email, hit them with everything you got. Where, where can they find you? I think the easiest thing that we've put together for your viewers or your listeners is it's find my com. So THOW is kind of lingo for tiny home on wheels. Mm. So find my com, uh, And what that'll do is that'll allow them to just download our free ebook. And the ebook is going to go through all the mistake, a lot of the mistakes that we talked about, kind of the five key money mistakes that we see people making before they buy a tiny house, whether they're doing it for individual use or as an investor, they can go on down there. It's, it's maybe like a, I mean, it's a real easy read. It's like a 25 page ebook, right? And that'll allow them to get to know us, see how, you know, we'll have some contact information if they wanted to do that, you know, uh, www.ubuildtinyhomes.com, right, is our, is our website. But, you know, the, the ebook, I think will just, it's enough information too, to where, you know, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe they don't want somebody to reach out to them or whatever. Hey, that's great. You know, here's some, here's some good information. Here's a lot of the, th the stuff that we talked about here today. And that'll just give them an opportunity to be able to reach out to us more if they want to. But then if not, if it's not the right time, then they can, you know, have some good value and then, you know, just follow up with us if they ever want to. So Amazing. find my com. Amazing. Fantastic. I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, so I think we are going to get ourselves out of here. We'll be respectful for your time. Uh, but that was a masterclass on tiny houses. Thank you so much, Trey, for coming on and talking awesome. with us that today. We really nice. appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. All so right. Much. Been another episode of Fetch It. Thank you guys.